This is Company Cars, the podcast that tries to make sense of the car business. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Company Cars. This is the first episode of 2023, so it's been a while since I've posted an episode, and a lot of that is due to my own scheduling issues and my own professional things going on, and not for a lack of news or lack of topics in the automotive business. There's been a lot going on in the last quarter of 2022, so on this episode, I'll talk about my thoughts on how 2022 went for the automotive business and how it went for car buyers, and my thoughts on what 2023 might bring to the market and for car buyers. Of course, we don't have a crystal ball, and so it'll be interesting to see at the end of 2023 how the things that I say today compare to what actually unfolds. So we'll also have another rental car roulette where I really found a car that was a needle in a haystack, so I had the chance to drive one of the hardest to find mainstream cars on the market during 2022, which was a Toyota RAV4 hybrid. I like to think of 2022, now that we can reflect on it, as a bit of the Jekyll and Hyde automotive market year. So for the first half of the year, the market really was telling us one set of things. And the second half of the year, as macroeconomic events unfolded, the market really took a new direction in the second half of the year. So as we think about the first half of the year, the automotive market, including that for automakers, for dealers, and for car buyers, The trends accelerated from 2021. So in the first half of 2022, we faced extremely constrained inventory on the new car side, which led to substantial pricing power that manufacturers and dealers had. So it was common to see above MSRP transactions, nearly new used cars sell for more than new cars, and relatively low interest rates for borrowers as well. So I think the relatively low interest rates at the beginning of 2022 helped automakers and dealers mask this rapidly deteriorating affordability that was going on as a result of these supply chain disruptions. So if you think about it from the automaker's perspective, if you have a limited number of computer chips or supply chain equipment to put in a car, you're going to prioritize the cars that you can sell for the most profit. And so... Uh, usually that'll mean producing a richer, more expensive mix of vehicles since profit margins are higher. And usually selling these higher margin cars comes with the risk that it may take you longer to sell them or it may be harder to find a buyer. But in the last half of 2021 and the first half of 2022, this wasn't really an issue because the, uh, the automotive market was such that car buyers were buying basically everything that automakers put out. So It's this very complex exercise on the automakers and dealers part to try and stock the optimal mix of cars that they can produce with the chips they have and cars that will be profitable for their bottom line. Because as we think about producing these more luxurious cars, they'll often require more parts. And so a lot of automakers took different strategies. Some built whatever they could with the parts that they had and shipped that mix of cars. Others went ahead and built the most profitable ones in their lineup and ship them without certain features, promising to retrofit them later at some point. So if you own one of these cars in the second category in particular, you should pay close attention to the features that may have been omitted from your car if you bought it new in 2022, and that you may be eligible to go back to the dealer next year or now to get some of those items retrofitted as supply issues start to ease a little bit. So the first half of 2022, I think, 
the way the market was headed and, and kind of its natural evolution of 2021 had a lot of professionals wondering if we've maybe transitioned to this new normal where capacity constraints or capacity discipline from the automakers would fundamentally shift the way that we bought cars simply by making it much harder for consumers to obtain discounts and much easier for dealers and manufacturers to basically sell everything that they have. So we saw steep drops in incentive spending, steep increases in all sorts of additional dealer add-ons and dealer markups above MSRP and wait times for cars that were ordered. So we started to see continued interest in ordering new cars during the first half of 2022 as well as a way to maybe go ahead and get in line for a car that you might need three months from now because you know that the automakers are so capacity constrained. So 2022 was really the first point over the past two or three years where I maybe sat down and and said, well, maybe for those of us that have been sitting on the sidelines and waiting to buy a new car, maybe it's time to stop waiting. Maybe this is what the future looks like in automotive retail And so maybe we should go ahead and bite the bullet and buy a car if we need one or if we've been trying to put off our car purchase for a few years. Because in the first half of 2022, to sum it up, I would say my view was that there was very little light at the end of the tunnel. It felt like this was going to be a very permanent change. And external factors, including the unanticipated war in Ukraine, also helped to add to this feeling in the sense that Ukraine was home to many suppliers, especially for European automakers, and this started to exacerbate the supply chain issues we faced in late 2021, and this hit Volkswagen Group, Volvo, BMW, and Mercedes-Benz especially hard. So the onset of the war in Ukraine at the end of February 22 really dealt another blow to the supply chain, and I think it's something that these automakers are just now starting to recover from. Supply chains can take some time to rebuild or shift to other locations, but we're slowly getting back there on the European market side. And throughout the summer, I think it was a really challenging time to buy a car. So in previous episodes, we've talked to some people that have bought cars recently, and, and I've also worked with some other people off script and off recording. And it was a hard time. And whether it was new or used, it was always this this really careful puzzle to try and find something that was compelling for the buyer and that met their needs and that maybe wasn't too terribly expensive relative to previous years. So as the summer went on, the Federal Reserve started increasing interest rates in general to try and get a grip on inflation. And, and these interest rate hikes began to affect car loan rates. And so over the past few years, we've had historically low car loan rates, and that started to change and change rapidly during the latter half of summer 2022 as we led into fall. And I think the consequences of this started to bear out in the fall, where where you see new car loan rates approaching 5, 6, 7, 8%, and used car loan rates approaching 7, 8, 9, 10%, for people with excellent credit. And these are levels that we haven't seen in really a very long time because all through the 2010s, automotive financing was relatively cheap. You'd think it'd be two or three or 4% for a new car loan, five, six, seven, 8% for a used car loan. By historical standards, those were incredibly affordable. And so as these rate hikes took hold, this had a huge effect on demand, especially amongst used cars 
that are predominantly financed. So think of used cars over twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars. And so the market really cooled in fall 2022 for these cars. So the third and fourth quarter, we saw valuations on on used cars start to fall pretty precipitously, uh, especially for high-end used cars. So think of like Lamborghini Urus, Mercedes-Benz products, BMW products, etc. Because the cost of financing these cars really made them very unaffordable and helped to further close the price gap or increase the price benefit to buying a new car altogether. So the used car market has continued to slow down and cool down. And I think we're seeing finally the reversal of the trends over the past two years of used car values just going up and up and up and up every quarter. I think in the third and fourth quarter, we saw used car values stabilize and start to decline. And depending on what type of used car you're looking at, some of these declines were actually quite steep in the fourth quarter of 2022. And so at the end of the year, the market ended up selling about 13.6 million new cars, which is more than what the industry forecasts, which I think is good news. It tells us that supply chains are starting to recover. Companies are starting to adapt to this new world of supply chains. But this is still the lowest number of new cars we've seen sold since 2011. So uh, this maybe has consequences in future years as we think about the new cars of today become the used cars of tomorrow. And so we won't really have like a used car factory per se where we can produce more used cars. And so I think although used car valuations are starting to fall, I think used car values will uh, will plateau eventually, maybe sometime during 2023, and and stay roughly at that level because uh, there just won't be as many new cars to serve as used cars in two or three years. So, um, so we'll see used car values and residuals probably hold up pretty well over the next 24 months, especially in in the core of the market. So think midsize sedans, midsize SUVs, compact SUVs. And so the business case for buying a new car versus a, u- a used car may still tilt marginally towards buying a new car over the next couple of years. And so I think that's my first prediction of how these market dynamics have affected the business case of buying a new versus a used car. And, and we're starting to see some easing of the factors from the first half of 2022. We're seeing dealer markups come down. We're seeing supply start to come back a little bit. On the new car side, we're seeing wait times drop dramatically for just about everything except maybe electric cars. And so we're starting to see some elements where supply chain is catching up. Demand is maybe coming down due to interest rates. And so we're maybe approaching a healthier equilibrium than what we saw in the first half of 2022. And now it's time for a short break. We'll hear from our sponsors, and we'll share some information about how to submit a listener question. The Company Cars Podcast is sponsored by Rejected Conjectures Incorporated, a division of Integrated Derivatives. If you have a question that you want answered on the show, write us an email at companycarspodcast at gmail.com. And one more thing that was really notable about 2022 was the rise and fall of Carvana. So at the end of 2022, Carvana's publicly traded stock had dropped almost 98% over the course of the year. And so this reflects maybe the 
rapid exuberance and excitement for a company that had said that they were going to transform car buying and make it entirely virtual, and the recognition that this business model still carries a lot of risk related to holding inventory of used cars and perhaps some execution risk related to the business. So Carvana was maybe one of these pandemic-era darlings that said, hey, you, you can buy a car entirely online and we'll bring the car to you. And so conceptually, I think this is a great thing. But as time went on and Carvana expanded, they maybe had some issues with the execution of this idea. And so I think uh, as they tried to acquire inventory and tried to corner the market by paying a premium for inventory, it made it really difficult for them to sell cars at a profit. And so I think as of 2022, there's still a lot of open questions over whether this completely virtual business model works and whether Carvana as a business can survive this maybe post-pandemic era, as some have said, uh, much longer. And so it'll be interesting to see how Carvana unfolds over the next year because they undertook some pretty massive expansion during 2021 and 2022. But now that the car market is starting to turn a little bit, they're going to face some headwinds that they really haven't had to face at all during their existence because they were founded during the 2010s, kind of this period of very low interest rates and very easy, cheap money to borrow. And now that that's not the case and may not be the case ever again, we, we don't know where interest rates will go, right? And so I think there's going to be a lot of soul searching over Carvana's business model and the business model of this virtual used car buying approach because we're seeing even Carvana's competitors shift and Vroom and to some extent CarMax also face similar soul searching over how do they operate their business and how should they rethink their business in an era where their shoppers can't get the interest rates that they've been used to getting for maybe the past 10 or 15 years in the marketplace. So it'll be really interesting to see how each of these players cope. Uh, I don't want to put out too much of an opinion on on who will cope better than others. It'll just be interesting to see how each of this, these companies and this segment of the business that has done extremely well over the past two years, how it'll cope. The other pandemic era darling in the automotive business that we need to talk about in 2022 is Tesla. And so I don't want to talk too much about Tesla here. I, I'd like to do a whole episode on Tesla and where Tesla has gone. So earlier in the podcast, there was a Tesla part one episode and so I anticipate there will be many episodes of Tesla. So I'd like to put Tesla Part 2 into its own episode. But I think what's interesting is to observe Tesla's dramatic change of fortunes throughout 2022. So Tesla started 2022 with lengthy waiting lists, seemingly unlimited demand. So no matter how quickly they raised prices or how much they raised prices, these lengthy wait lists didn't seem to abate at all. And so in the beginning parts of 2022, lots of investors said, this is not really a car company. This is a technology growth company or maybe an energy company that just happens to use cars and batteries as a way to deploy its technology. And so as a reflection of this, we saw a lot of investors who were very excited about Tesla, and we saw a lot of consumers who were very excited about Tesla's products. And so I looked at Tesla's website in the first half of 2022 and took a look and noticed that the wait time to get a Model Y, their popular SUV, if you ordered it in May 2022, the website was estimating that your car would arrive sometime in the first quarter of 2023. So almost an entire year of wait lists at that time. And so Tesla kept pushing through price hikes. They 
continue to see unprecedented demand, a growing wait list. But what's interesting is as 2022 unfolded, Elon Musk became a much more controversial figure in general beyond his role at Tesla. So think of all the time that he's starting to spend with his Twitter acquisition and 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 managing that. And so there, his profile became more controversial and Tesla's profile became more controversial as well because there became a lot of controversy over Tesla's driver assistance technologies, including uh, what they label as autopilot and full self-driving. So combined with the overall market-wide factors that I talked about before, these items put Tesla in a perfect storm, especially as demand start to soften dramatically in the fourth quarter. And something I'd never thought I'd see, and I think something maybe in years past Tesla would say they don't feel like they'd ever need to do, but they started offering discounts of up to $7,500 off Model 3 and Y, which they later had to extend to Model S and X as well, and free supercharging for a period of time. So these were discounts that were pretty massive. Some people said that basically the company was trying to convince buyers not to wait for new EV-related tax credits in the first quarter of 2023. But I'm a a little skeptical of that story because these new uh, Inflation Reduction Act-related tax credits for EV purchases in 2023, they now come with an income cap. So yes, Tesla has some products that are newly eligible for a federal tax credit that they weren't before because the new tax credit takes away the volume cap on the automaker, but the new tax credit imposes an income cap on the car buyer. And so I think in a lot of markets, the type of person who would be buying a Tesla product at the prices that they're priced at Today, as of January 2023, these are buyers who maybe have a really high or at least medium probability of exceeding these income thresholds that the IRS has put forward to qualify for the new vehicle tax credits. And so I think that this explanation for why Tesla offered the incentives is I'm I'm, I'm very skeptical of this, and I think the the vision, uh, the appearance of these incentives more signals that Tesla is starting to have some of the same demand-based headwinds that other automakers faced in the fourth quarter, specifically around affordability issues, around interest rates. And in the case of Tesla, their, you know, their lineup is starting to age a little bit. And so that, that certainly doesn't help the company either. And so it'll be interesting to see how Tesla navigates 2023, especially now that the demand environment is much weaker amongst high-priced vehicles. And especially now that Tesla has kind of open the door to offering limited time discounts in, in, in order to sell inventory. And so it'll be interesting to see if the discounts they offered at the end of the fourth quarter 2022 come back in some form, maybe not 7500 but some other amount, but whether they come back in some form at the end of the first quarter of 2023. And now thinking ahead to 2023 and what the year will bring is I think the industry will be spending some time adjusting to the new interest rate environment, especially on the dealership retail side and amongst automotive lenders. I think the interest rate hikes of 2022 ushered in a a new era of borrowing costs. And I think automakers and dealers and lenders have yet to confront the reality of interest rates after over a decade of unprecedented low borrowing costs. So over the past decade, this low borrowing cost has allowed the whole industry to mask this concept of declining affordability in the business. And so 
with low interest rates, it's much easier to offer 60, 72, 84, 96 month loan terms. And I think the era of being able to offer those at 3% or 4% interest rates, I think that's just gone. So I, I think we're going to have to really rethink how to address issues of vehicle affordability in the context of much higher borrowing costs and higher interest rates. I think in the short run, this means the pool of new car buyers will continue to shrink and continue to represent an increasingly affluent pool of people who can afford $700, $800, $900, $1,000 a month car payments. I, I saw something recently that said over 15% of of new car buyers have a car payment over $1,000 a month, and that was the highest amount that it had been in a, uh, in a long time. And, and with the median vehicle price now pushing $50,000 on the new side, it's just going to be very difficult to justify these high payments for five, six, seven years for something that's at its core a depreciating asset. Like we're not talking about a home, we're not talking about mortgages, right? So this is at its core, cars are appliances that get us from A to B, and so these super high borrowing costs are going to be something the industry will have to confront. And I think in the short term, most automakers have eliminated their affordable internal combustion engine cars in their lineups. There's not very much that you can buy under $30,000 brand new, and even less under $20,000 brand new. And so I think in the long run, we're going to have to revisit the cost of producing and designing a compact car, especially as the industry transitions to electric, which are more expensive to produce. So it's going to be something that we need to confront. And so there's rumors that Tesla is working on a car that is smaller and cheaper than the Model 3. There's there's the Chevy Equinox EV, where they're trying to get the price under $30,000. And so I think there's some nibbles around the edges, but I think as an industry, we're going to have to make a much broader effort to address vehicle affordability. And we've done this before in the business. It's not unfamiliar. So right after the financial crisis, um, automakers built a lot of compact sedans and compact SUVs to address drivers' concerns over high gas prices and affordability then. But now that we're also layering in this transition to electric, I think it'll be an especially tricky time for automakers to navigate as they think about how do we make sure we have a full product portfolio that doesn't force us to miss out on a large segment of the buying public, while also being able to offer this full portfolio in a financially sustainable way for our shareholders. And so it's going to be interesting to see. I think also 2023 is when we're going to start seeing the onslaught of electric vehicles that automakers have been talking about all through the pandemic. So automakers have a large number of electric vehicles scheduled to come on the market in 2023. And it'll be interesting also to see how retail dealers cope with this transition and cope with the easing of some of the supply constraints that have defined the past 24 months in the car business. So I think 2023 is going to be a big transition year as we start to begin this transition on multiple dimensions from internal combustion engine centric businesses to electric vehicle businesses, from uh, from an era of low borrowing costs to high borrowing costs, right? And so from an era of easy payment terms to maybe more challenging payment terms and, and from an era where maybe everybody does want an SUV, but maybe not everybody can afford an SUV. And so it'll be interesting to see how pieces of the industry all cope 
with all these different factors that are happening. And I think 2023 is going to be a setup year for the next three to five years, which will be a much deeper transition and change in automotive and automotive retail. And now it's time for Rental Car Roulette. On this episode of Rental Car Roulette, we're talking about a rental car that's truly a needle in a haystack. So we're talking about the Toyota RAV4 Hybrid. So this is one of the most desirable cars on the market today in terms of mainstream cars. And I rented this car in July 2022, and I was just blown to bits to see this car in the aisle at Hertz. Like, this is a car that people are paying over MSRP for on a regular basis that almost every other post on the Ask Car Sales subreddit is talking about, trying to find a deal for. And so I was just shocked that Hertz had ended up with this car one way or the other, whether it was from uh, Toyota directly through their fleet program or whether Hertz went to the private market and purchased this car. So I think my suspicion is that Hertz bought this car on the private market. So I'm a little scared to ask how much they paid because it sounds like they might have paid over MSRP for this car. Because I found the original window sticker in the car, and it showed that it was delivered to a dealership in Minnesota and sold by that dealer. And so typically, if Hertz is buying a car and they're having it shipped directly to them from the automaker, you'll see that on the window sticker. It'll be uh, sold to a specific dealer, but it'll be shipped to a Hertz vehicle yard at a particular location. So this made it sound like this car was a retail car at one point, whether it was a new car off a dealer lot or whether it was a gently used RAV4 off a dealer lot. I don't know, but it's just fascinating that in terms of Hertz coping with the vehicle shortages of 2020 and 2021 and 2022, that they were able to buy this car. And so this car was incredible. So this was a base LE model that was red. So it wasn't very fancy inside. It was had cloth seats. It had a plastic steering wheel. Um, but this car was great. I, this car... Toyota had really done its homework with the RAV4 Hybrid. I I can see how this car would be perfect for 90 to 95% of American drivers. It, it was easy to maneuver, easy to park, easy to see out of, incredibly quiet, incredibly fuel efficient because of the hybrid system. So I averaged about 40 miles a gallon and I was using the air conditioning the whole time. And it was reasonably affordable. So the base LE trim of the RAV4 Hybrid is between is right around thirty thousand dollars. It's in a really nice, sweet spot of the market. And of course, the Rav Four in general is a very practical car. There's a reason why it's so popular. So it had great cargo space. It had a nice roomy back seat, and so it's just all around a very, very functional car for about thirty thousand dollars. And I think the hybrid powertrain in this car really allowed it to shine. So I think in a Toyota product. If you have the option to get the hybrid version, you should get the hybrid version. Toyota has built hybrids for a long time. It's something where they have a comparative advantage over other automakers. They're very good at it. And the hybrid system that they have is extremely refined, extremely efficient. And in most cases, my understanding is lower maintenance than the regular gas equivalent. And so I think Toyota has really refined and put together a very nice, compelling package for people who are maybe not ready to jump all the way to an electric vehicle, but still want to benefit from some of the technology that's been developed in the automotive business the past 15 or 20 years in terms of saving fuel and 
producing a car that is easier on fuel consumption than a traditional gasoline car. So Toyota got the big and difficult things right with this car. It's very usable, very easy to see out of, has great value for money, and, and an impeccable reliability track record. And so I think this is one of those cars where you after you buy it and you start driving it, you never really have to think about it. And I mean that in the best way possible. This is a car that will get you from A to B to C all the way to Z and back to A without major issues at a very reasonable price in reasonable comfort. And it'll carry a lot of your stuff and your friends with you along the way. And I was mostly just blown away to see this car at Hertz, given the incredible demand for these cars and the very constrained supply of the hybrid versions of these cars. I think I've met people who are still waiting for RAV4 hybrids that maybe they had tried to secure earlier in 2022. So this is a car that is very much in demand, and there's a good reason why. And so if you're thinking about a compact SUV and you're thinking about getting a hybrid, uh, there actually maybe aren't as many choices as you might think. There's the RAV4 hybrid, there's the brand new CRV hybrid, and there's the Ford Escape hybrid. Um, I can't think of another one off the top of my head, although somebody out in the audience should correct me if I'm wrong. And so there's really not that many choices. And I think amongst the three, the RAV4 hybrid is a really good choice as a compact family SUV. So that's going to wrap it up for us at Company Cars. Thanks for listening. So in future episodes, we'll talk more about the car business.